This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. The 4th of July is the day designated in the United States to celebrate the independence of the United States. The founding of the U.S. as a sovereign nation, separate and apart from Britain. And we know that this declaration occurred in 1776. The American Revolution, the war that took place between the 13 colonies and Britain lasted from 1775 to 1783. And a lot of times people don't think about it lasting that long since we declared our independence in 1776. And what I want to talk about today is the fact that most people around the world, around the globe, desire to be free. And freedom is extremely valuable and it's not free. There's a tremendous cost associated with freedom. So when we think about the American Revolution in particular, I wanna talk a little bit about the financial cost first of the war. We want to remember that France was an important ally to the US colonies during the American Revolution. And France spent about 1.3 billion livres, that was their unit of money at the time, on the war. That was a lot of financial investment. Great Britain spent 250 million pounds. The U.S. spent about 400 million on troops. And Spain in 1778 spent about 454 million reales. In 1778, and by 1779, that had increased to about 700 million reales. So, monetary wise, this was a very expensive operation. While that war was taking place, Britain wanting to make sure they held the upper hand over these colonies that, from their perspective, were revolting against their authority and leadership, they actually blocked the US ports, and they blocked them to prevent imports and exports, lest these colonies have resources from other sources. And another thing that the British did in order to make sure that the colonies had a difficult time is that they printed counterfeit continental money to cause the dollar in the U.S. to be devalued. Now, the colonists also did some things, of course, in retaliation as well. They did all kinds of boycotts on British goods because they were protesting the taxes that were levied against all of these items. Now, because the British had a very superior navy, far more superior than anything that the colonies could muster at the time, it was very difficult for the U.S. alone to end up being victorious in this American Revolution. Fortunately, France was one of the allies and they had a very powerful navy. And so they were able to weaken the British blockades 
And also they were able to block some of Britain's supply routes to make sure that they didn't have as much of an advantage as they would have had if France had not been involved. So the British, of course, to make sure that the French weren't so successful in being an ally, they went to the French Caribbean with the intention of capturing some of the sugar islands down there and to cut off the French supplies. However, this became a very expensive operation and they really couldn't afford to sustain it for as long as they needed to do that in order for it to be helpful. So this whole war on behalf of the colonies involved allies, France, Spain, the Netherlands in particular, who lent money to the U.S., the early colonies, in order to fight this war. Also, there were groups called privateers, kind of like what we'd call pirates today, and these pirates would plunder each other's ships in a way of, again, trying to cripple the other side and their ability to fight successfully. So this war really led to a financial crisis for the French in 1786, which ultimately then led to the French Revolution in 1789. So that was kind of a cost as well to the French being involved in this aspect. Also in the colonies, inflation was huge. Inflation peaked in about 1778 at about 29.78%, and that was up from about 4.3% at the beginning of this conflict. And because goods were so expensive, life was difficult, there were lots of food riots, there was destruction of property, and not only were the soldiers paid from what we might call now federal funds, but the states also had to pay for their own soldiers during this time because the federal federation together couldn't afford to pay for the soldiers during this war and conflict. Eventually, After the war, the debt problem was resolved in the U.S. under Alexander Hamilton when the first Bank of the United States was founded. And they were able then to get through all of this, establish themselves as reliable from a financial point of view. After the war, however, just so we know, taxes were about 10 times higher than they had been before. So this was a very expensive operation if we look at it just from a financial point of view. Now, of course, we know that whenever you have war, you also lose lives. There were lots of lives lost across the board to all the parties and players in the conflict. And if we count all the reasons for death, which would be illness and difficulties, not necessarily just from combat itself, We know that amongst the colonies and the U.S. troops, at least 25,000 people died. Amongst the British, about 43,000 died in all of this. Also on both sides, prisoners of war were taken. And in the early years of the war, the Americans who were held by the British were not official POWs. That wasn't declared until later, about maybe 1782. So this meant that those prisoners of war from the colonies were not protected by the conventions that were in place at the time. So the British could treat them any way that they wanted to. And many of those prisoners of war, about four out of five of them died in British captivity. And a lot of them were captured and held in New York City 
here in the Americas, however, under very harsh conditions. Eventually, they had some prisoner exchange programs that started and then were stopped at different times, started and stopped. And eventually, the colonies decided not to continue that program because it would be less to their advantage because at the point when they knew they were likely to win the war and the conflict, they didn't want to start exchanging prisoners with Britain and increase the power of the British forces at that time. So we can see that this war was very expensive. And on the colonial side, in the Americas, there were a lot of people who participated. So we had Native Americans who participated. In fact, Native Americans fought on both sides, British and also with the colonies. We had African Americans also who participated in the American Revolution. About 5,000 or so were combatants in this whole process. And up north, particularly in the New England states, they fought alongside their white counterparts and received equal pay. So that was something that was going on way back at that time. There were also many women who were involved. They provided initially a lot of support services, such as traveling with the troops to do laundry and things of that sort. But in some cases, one woman whose name was Corbin, her husband was killed while he was manning the guns in the conflict, and she stood in and manned them in his place. So we even had women who stepped into places of combat to make a difference at that time. And in her case, she's actually buried at West Point and has full military honors. So this took a lot of resources of personnel, resources of finances, and allies and partners in order for the United States to secure this freedom, which they declared in 1776. So I use this as an example to say, not only are we talking about the United States and the history of the American Revolution, most nations that have been taken over by other people or who've been suppressed and oppressed want to be free. It's built in our hearts and our DNA to want to be a free people. And if we think about it from God's economy, the purpose of freedom in many ways is so that we are able to worship God as he designates and as he intends for us to do. And in fact, those who came to the Americas were seeking freedom from taxation, freedom from oppressive laws, and most importantly, they were seeking the ability to worship in a free way and not just have to follow the dictates of Britain at the time. They wanted freedom of worship. And if we go back to when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, God said to Moses to tell Pharaoh to let his people go so that they could go out into the wilderness, out into the desert area to worship him. That was the primary reason that God said he wanted his people to go out because they could not worship him in the way that he had ordained and designate while in Egypt. There were some restrictions. There were some difficulties on full worship. So when we think about enslaved nations or we think about oppressed nations, they seek to be free from imposed culture. That's not their culture. From imposed language. That's not their language. They seek to be free from limits on their prosperity. A lot of times, those nations who claim to be 
the leadership nations, they demand ever increasing amounts of tribute or taxes to be paid to them. And this is what happened in the Americas. The colonies got tired of paying taxes, heavy taxes, constantly increasing on all the goods that were brought over from Britain. And from the colony's perspective, they didn't believe they were getting any benefit from this because that tax money was being used to build up Britain and not the colonies themselves. So a lot of times you have people, let's say in Egypt, the Israelites, if they're enslaved, they're doing all of this work. Egypt is benefiting, the pharaohs are benefiting, but that doesn't mean that the Israelites were benefiting from all of the work they did while enslaved. And this is often the case. And sometimes during Israel's history, they weren't necessarily enslaved by a country. However, they had been beholden to another country and had to pay tribute to them or face some kind of war. So they often were in those situations as well. Also, people seek to be free from the insults and the marginalization that comes from being taken over by others who don't value you as people, who don't respect you as people as well. So when you are free, you then joyfully celebrate that independence. So independence days for many nations across the globe are times of great happiness, great celebration, because that cost to freedom was high and the benefit of freedom is worth it. So we find that over the years, major empires, whether you think about the Persian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, the Holy Roman Empire, the British Empire, have had many, many holdings and people seek to be free and to get away from being oppressed and under the thumb of someone else. I was recently speaking to a colleague who is from Ireland and lives in Ireland, and we were talking about why Ireland was not really a part of NATO. And this may change going forward. However, the history of it is that when Ireland got their freedom from Britain, they really didn't want to do anything associated with the British going forward. And since Britain was a major player in NATO, Ireland opted to stay out of NATO. It's a different day now. And so they probably will change their minds about that going forward and may join NATO as part of what's happening in the current world. So I want to bring up also the Ukraine right now to say that we have people there who recognize that fighting for freedom is huge. Fighting for freedom is important. And though they're losing lots of property, buildings, beautiful buildings, history, culture being destroyed, lives are being lost on the front lines and city to city in the Ukraine. They have not weakened in their resolve because to be oppressed is so much worse in some respects than losing life to retain freedom. I'm thinking about one of the states in the United States, New Hampshire, where the license plate has their state motto on it, which is live free or die. That's how serious New Hampshire is about this freedom, live free or die. They're known as the granite state. Granite is a very hard 
substance, rock strong. And in their resolve, they said, we are going to be free or we're going to die trying to be free. I almost imagine that the Ukrainians right now, in their spirit, probably adopt something similar in how they're looking at their circumstances. When we think about the history of the live free or die motto in New Hampshire, General John Stark was talking about his troops and the troops that had fought in the revolution and how brave they were. And at the time that they wanted to do a celebration for these troops and to honor them, he was too ill to come to it at the time. But he sent a message and quote, he says, they were men who had not learned the art of submission, nor had they been trained in the art of war. And he was giving a toast to these veterans. And he said, live free or die. Death is not the greatest of evils. Now, this phrase, live free or die, did not originate in New Hampshire. In fact, the French had a similar kind of a saying as well. And in French, it was vive libre ou mourir, which is live free or die. There was a novel by Sebastian Mercier in 1771. It was called The Year 2440. And in it, it says, fear tyranny, detest slavery, arm thyself, live free or die. So this phrase has been around a long time and used by many people. And then if we think about 1775, the Second Virginia Convention, Patrick Henry says, give me liberty or give me death. So this is how important being free is to many people in the world. So as we are thinking about the Independence Day of the United States and Independence Days of other countries around the globe who've been freed from oppression, it is a time to celebrate and worth celebrating. You might be wondering, well, what is the business application of everything that we're talking about when we're talking about freedom of nations? And when nations are free, it gives a lot of opportunity for companies to also have freedom as well and to have freedom of commerce across the globe to be able to direct and orient their own decisions about who they're going to do business with and how and, and what's going to happen. So it matters even for success in business. It matters for profitability to have that freedom at that country level that we're talking about. In addition, we've been talking about cultures of oppression and what happens under cultures of oppression. When you think about your organization and your company, and as a marketplace ministry leader, as an executive, you have the ability to influence and affect the culture at your workplace. If it's a culture of oppression, if it's a culture of fear, if it's a culture of threat, you will find that your people are shrinking. Your people are in a fight mode, in a mode of having to protect themselves against incoming artillery, if you will. And that artillery is even the friendly fire from their own organization and from the people who are on the same side of the fence as them. And when people are fighting those wars 
in the company of internal threat, internal fear and oppression. You don't have their full ability used to think creatively about how to be profitable in business because they're having to invest so much time and how to stay alive while on the front lines in your company. So I think the message I want to leave with you is that when you also promote a culture of freedom in your organization, this allows people to think freely, think creatively, come up with the next big winner for your organization and how you will be successful adding value for your customers going forward. So it matters what culture you create internally as well. And as we've been covering how expensive on all fronts the American revolution was, and really almost all revolutions for freedom, think about the cost to your company if you maintain a culture that oppresses your people and doesn't free them to apply their gifts in the most profound way. So this is your opportunity as a marketplace ministry leader to really champion freedom and success within your organization. And as we close today's segment, I'd like to read a verse from Galatians 5, and it's the first verse. And although here the Apostle Paul is talking about spiritual freedom, What I want to say to you is God wants his people free so that he can be glorified. We're much easier and more able to serve God in freedom when our countries are also free. Doesn't mean we can't serve God when we're under oppression. We can. There's certainly a way to do it. It's just more fulfilling It's easier when you can do it from a place of freedom. So Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Don't be entangled again, I'd say, with the yoke of bondage, whether physical or spiritual. Jesus Christ has set us free spiritually. So even if We're oppressed physically. We're not oppressed spiritually. We reign free in the spiritual realm. So use your freedom for God's glory. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.